Good morning and welcome to Back Chat. I'm Janice Wong and your guest presenter is Danny Gittings. On today's program, we're talking about the minimum wage. Hong Kong's minimum wage will be raised from $37.50 to $40 an hour starting for Monday. The government announced a figure early this year and wrapped up a public consultation on the minimum pay review mechanism on Monday. But some labor unions say the rise is inadequate, and others say the minimum wage should be reviewed every year instead of every two years. So is the new wage in line with inflation trends? Should it be increased and will employers be able to cope? What about proposals to review the minimum wage every year? After 9.45, we will look at support services for young people with diabetes. Let us know what you think on our Facebook page, Backchat on RTHK Radio Free, or you can email us at backchat at rthk.hk, or give us a call. The number there, 233-88266. Now to kick off our discussion this morning, we have on the line Si Lai Shan, Deputy Director of the Society for Community Organisation, and Duncan Abate, partner at Mayor Brown. He's also an Executive Committee member of the Employers' Federation of Hong Kong. Good morning, Ms. Si. Good morning. And good morning, Mr. Abate. Morning. Thanks for joining us on the program. So, Ms. C, you, you've made your views uh, quite clear before that $40 an hour is uh, not high enough. Uh, can you explain why? Uh, actually, um, we, we can uh, see um, those uh, uh, um, labor we, we, we meet. Actually, um, some of them under 40, some of them over 40. Actually, they, they still cannot meet their uh, uh, basic living. And also, if you compare to the um, minimum wage in the society, actually only uh, 38%. And uh, now the inflation is very high and accumulate uh, for years. The uh, inflation is keeping up. And uh, so um, even the basic uh, one, one, uh, uh, one person's uh, expenditure uh, for, for the median one person's expenditure is already uh, 16000 and and uh, a month, and but you can see the income for the minimum wage is uh, even for forty dollars is uh, eight thousand something. So it's far from the expenditure. Yeah. So you can see, and then we also can see that some um, those labor actually they they hard to meet their females a day, and uh, some of them if they have the children, they want them to have a uh, tutorial class uh, or some interest uh, class. Mm-hmm. They cannot afford to pay for it. So, how high do you think the minimum wage should be raised? Uh, we suggest that they should be uh, uh, in um, with reference of the uh, median uh, um, uh, wage, and um, if we compare to other countries that uh, um, uh, Korea or the city like uh, Taiwan. Their level already over the 60%, 70% of the median wage. So um, for Hong Kong, it's 38% is too, too low. So we think we can start from um, 50%, and then with the evasion, and that will be around for this year is 53 point um, four door, and if we set it in 60%, will be around 64 door. And then, so we can gradually to increase the level. All right, Duncan Abate, is that a, a level that employers can afford? Well, I'm I sure think... some employers can afford it and some can't. And, and I mean, I think what we should really be doing is looking back at what the, the reason the statutory minimum wage was introduced back in 2011. And, and 
it, it was really introduced in order to forestall excessively low wages. This is what the legislation says, whilst maintaining jobs and maintaining Hong Kong's competitiveness. And I think when you look at the data, it's actually achieved that uh, over the last 11 or 12 years. Um, the number of employees, and I think this is a really important point, the number of employees who are actually earning minimum wage um, in 2011, there's something like 6.5% of the working population was earning minimum wage. In 2022, that was down to 0.5%. So, um, and the, the reason for this is there's a trickling up effect, there's a ripple effect of, of, of people getting, uh, having increase of wages. And when you look at also the, the wages of the lower paid uh, workers, uh, in the last 11 years, they've gone up by 86%, um, which when you take into account inflation still means that they're up 33% above inflation. So I understand the point Ms. C is making. It, it's, it's a good point, and it's a point which is worth discussing. But the facts clearly indicate that the, the way in which the minimum wage is currently being implemented is improving, materially improving, uh, the well-being of, of the lower-paid employees in Hong Kong. How about her point that uh, in other countries the minimum wage is linked to the medium wage? Uh, she mentioned, uh, I think, Taiwan, Korea, or the other jurisdictions. Uh, she mentioned Taiwan, Korea, um, and then Shenzhen, uh, maybe Shenzhen across the border in China. Um, uh, how common is that internationally? There's lots of different mechanisms uh, internationally. By far the most common um, uh, structure for determining the minimum wage is by some kind of committee. Um, there are certain... Uh, uh, Certain, certain jurisdictions uh, and environments where they do it by means of a mechanism. Um, but those are very much in the, in the minority. Um, now, obviously, the, the Minimum Wage Commission, which we currently have, I mean, they will, they will look at the medium wage. They've got all that data. They put out a report which took 18 months to produce and extends to 144 pages. Um, and, and the medium wage is, is certainly something which they already look at. But they need to balance um, you can, the, 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 what the minimum wage should be against maintaining Hong Kong's competitiveness. And the one thing it shouldn't do is raise the minimum wage to a level where it creates bankruptcy. Um, and if it creates bankruptcies, it creates redundancies, and that's actually the greatest cause of poverty in any in any economy. Well, how about how about that, Si Lai Shan? The um, I mean, I understand that uh, many workers are having a, a very difficult time, but uh, many employers, after the last few years of COVID and um, all the business they've lost, many employers are having a very difficult time as well. Si Lai Shan. Yes. Are you uh, are you worried that if uh, I understand the reason for saying you want to increase the minimum wage higher, but uh, is there a danger that will just lead to employers reducing the number of jobs and then uh, people will, will lose their jobs? Um, I, th I think um, most you uh, uh, see the figure now, and uh, actually many uh, um, uh, employer they already paying over fifty dollars. And uh, for those under forty dollars, it's around uh, um, four, four, fourteen thousand workers there and uh, uh, minimum wage. 
And then uh, for those uh, paying for forty dollar or more and less than fifty dollar, they are around maybe two hundred thousand. And so it's not the uh, majority of the workers. So we not affect all the employers. So many of our employers they actually pay higher. And and if there are any employer they have difficulty to pay for the or run their business, I think the government for those uh, economic drama, if they have their uh, as their uh, um, problems, they can have some policy to stimulate the economic development for those business to support uh, something. So I think they can do to the government. They can do something for for those have difficult uh, uh, problems of the employees. Uh, Duncan Abate, how, how about the point that uh, Ms. C just made? Uh, that's quite, actually quite a reasonable one. Is that, um, I mean, in many sectors now, the minimum wage is not really the minimum wage at all. You just you just can't employ staff at, at the minimum wage. So in practice, most employers are already paying more. So um, then surely that and they're not they're not going under. Surely that shows there is scope to increase the minimum wage higher. I think the minimum wage they can ensure those uh, uh, most uh, lower. Uh, um, level uh, worker they have a basic living yeah. and we can uh, uh, narrow the uh, gap between the rich and the poor yeah. uh, let, Let's ask uh, Duncan, Duncan Abate, Duncan Abate uh, how about that point that uh, in, I mean I can think of for instance building management is very commonly known now you, 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 you have to pay more than the minimum wage if you want to hire staff Yes absolutely and that's, yeah, that's supply and demand um, but the, the the statutory minimum wage program is not there to ensure a living wage. It's there to forestall excessively low wages. So, so it's slightly different. And the fact, as Ms. Yee says, the fact that there's only 14,000 who are currently getting paid below $40 indicates that the mechanism is already working. There is this, this, this trickle up. The reality is that in the lower paid Industry, sorry, in the, in the industries which pay, which pay the employees the, the lowest amounts, those tend to be labor-intensive industries. And so wage bills are a greater proportion of their costs than in other industries. So if we crank those, the minimum wage from $40 up to, I think it's $53, which was being recommended, those businesses will just go out of business. They'll Cease to, those jobs will cease to exist. And these are our most uh, fragile employees gener- already. And so we'll just end up with, uh, with these people being made unemployed, which I don't think is what anybody wants. And whilst, whilst I love Ms. C's point that the government would turn around and support the businesses, I'm not sure that that's what happens in reality. Uh, Duncan Abate, maybe you, you can expand on the point you made just now. You said that um, the minimum wage is not there to provide a living wage. It's to avoid uh, excessively low wages. I mean, for us who are sort of not sort of um, follow the field so closely, we, we, you think the two are the same, that a, um, a living wage is, uh, is avoiding a, a, an excessively low wage. You're saying they're no, different. No, no they, they are different. They are different. I think that's, that's an established principle. I mean, the, the legislation says... Mustn't, it, it's there to forestall excessively low wages, which is different from a living wage. How is it different? Um, How is it different? It's, a, li- a living wage will vary in relation to uh, just in relation to CPI fundamentally. 
Right. I just want to, Missy, I just want to go back to a point that uh, Mr. Abate mm. made earlier. Um, I, I know you, you of course, uh, want a higher minimum wage, but uh, Mr. Abate, he was talking about how um, how the uh, minimum wage that was introduced uh, back in 2011 and up to now, it has uh, helped improve the well-being of people because uh, fewer people are actually uh, getting the minimum wage. Do you, do you, I mean, do you think he has a point there that it is working? I, I think actually it's very really important to uh, uh, what angle we uh, to 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 what to aim to set the minimum wage, yeah. Um, so I think the basic aim of the minimum wage is to protect those uh, 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 lower low level uh, uh, worker, so they have a, a reasonable pay. Yeah, and then those uh, workers they don't have a bargaining power, um, and uh, and we need to sure they have a reasonable pay, and um, and they can have a reasonable living. I think it's very important, and they, they can uh, catch up with the economic development and uh, then share the the uh, uh, those uh, economic development results. Uh, so now the problem is uh, is. That's why we need to uh, refer to the uh, median wage, and uh, can see whether they can share the the, the not too far from those uh, uh, Hong Kong's uh, common uh, um, wage. That is very important. Uh, Miss C, in other countries, even the United Kingdom, uh, they have a lower minimum wage for young people. In Hong Kong, we have the same minimum wage for all age groups. Do you think that uh, we can consider having different uh, minimum wage for different age groups, same as other countries? Uh, I think this is need to further uh, more uh, research for that. Um, uh, we need to see why we, we have this kind of uh, uh, difference. Yeah. Uh, so so far, we win, we would prefer uh, have a standard uh, minimum wage, but we can have a further study and 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 how how can it be settled? Yeah. Uh, Duncan Abate, how about that? And also more generally, in Hong Kong, the minimum wage is pretty much a one size fits all. As I mentioned, in uh, you know more than me about other jurisdictions, <laughs> but UK they have a different minimum wage for young people. US they have different minimum wages for different parts of the, the country. I mean, I know obviously Hong Kong's a much smaller place, so but even then there might well be arguments that minimum wages in high, higher area, higher cost districts should be um, should be higher than other areas. And I think in Singapore, they actually have a, they don't have a minimum wage, I think. I think they just have a minimum wage for cleaners and uh, mm. security guards. So there, there are quite a lot, Duncan dunk about it, there, there are quite a lot of different models in other countries, aren't there? Yes, there are. Yes, there are. No, I mean, personally, on a personal level, I think it's a good idea to have a, a, a different minimum wage for, for, for young, uh, young workers, especially if you've got an in, uh, an imbalance in relation to, work, to unemployment. Um, uh, amongst the younger workforce. I mean, the reality is that in Hong Kong, we basically got full employment already. I mean, it's, it's, it's less than 4%. Um, and the, the other point in relation to kind of living wage against um, excessively low wages, if you look at how the minimum wage has actually increased over the last 11 years, um, it's increased by 43% from $28 up to up, up to $40 in a couple of days. And the CPI over that period has actually increased by less than that. So you know, the, the, the mechanism 
I understand we can always have a discussion as to what, was, what, what you want the statutory minimum wage to be. But as it is currently set out in the legislation, and the mechanism which we have does appear to be working and is certainly the evidence is indicating that it's making, that it's improving, improving the situation for the lower paid workers materially. Right. And, uh, um, Ms. C, I just want to go back to you. I mean, we've talked about uh, the level of a minimum wage. Um, uh, I, I just want to look at uh, what uh, the Federation of Hong Kong and Kowloon Labor Unions said uh, earlier this week. Uh, they, they, they said the minimum wage should be reviewed um, every year instead of every two years. Um, what's your, your view on that, Ms. C? I agree there should be a review in, uh, every year, not just two years. Yeah. yeah, because um, it's to let behind the uh, invasion. And uh, I think the figure they can gather uh, every year. They have figure every year, actually. Okay, and uh, uh, you, you, the government said because they didn't need time to take the uh, figures. Yeah. And you, you Miss uh, C, you say Soko would like to see the minimum wage raised to, I think, $53 an hour. How, how much support do you have for that from other organizations? Oh, I think I think our figure we 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 raised already lower than other other organizations. For some Osram, they have they have their uh, living wage. Uh, I think uh, a few years ago they already raised the living wage is uh, fifty fifty four point seven dollar, and so we we just uh, uh, raised this year for the fifty fifty percent of the median wage is fifty three point four dollar. All right. I, I have a listener here who uh, just left a, a comment on Facebook. Uh, it's Barbara. She says um, she she seems to uh, support uh, your view, Miss C. She says uh, forty dollars can't buy a normal lunch in Hong Kong, but then she's uh, more interested in working hour limitation. She says there are lots of people working twelve hours a day every six days and then get one day off. What's this kind of system? I am wondering why it still exists nowadays. And uh, that's uh, from Barbara. Um, Mr. Abate, do, do, you, do you have any uh, response to that? I mean... Um, what about how much lunch costs? Uh, no, about, about the, work, the working, working hours. hours. I mean, there, there was, uh, I think under um, uh, the former chief executive, there was some discussion at some stage in having legislation on working hours in Hong Kong. Yes, yeah, there have been. I mean... It, this is this is a discussion which will inevitably be ongoing, um, and uh, you, 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 we already have the, the, the uh, a process which mandates certain rest days and holidays and the like. What we don't have is something which is dictatorial in relation to the, the actual number of hours which which people uh, are required to work, other than certain regulated industries, of course. Um, we leave that up to the market. And I mean, I think we need to be just careful about not squeezing employers um, in a way which damages their competitiveness um, across the region and globally. Um, right now, as we know, we're just coming out of an incredibly difficult period. And um, although you know, all of these issues should be discussed and we've got no problem uh, having discussions about them. I think it, do, it is really, really important that you examine what the impact, the effects of them will be. And Ms. C was talking about $53. And the, the Minimum Wage Commission, and it took them 18 months to produce, uh, to, to produce the report they'd just done. So 
if we did it annually, you'd have to have two commissions kind of painting the fourth bridge, one from each side the whole time. But the, the Minimum Wage Commission, they, the highest number they looked at, which they rejected as being basically too painful and too damaging to Hong Kong, was $44. So if you go to $53, you'll talk about, I understand why MSC is saying it, it's political angles to this and all that sort of stuff, but that would just, it would break so many elements of, of Hong Kong's current employment structure, which it just makes no sense. Are you sure? I mean, because, I mean, that before the minimum, I mean, this was a long time ago, but before the minimum wage was introduced in Hong Kong, there were all kinds of apocalyptic predictions from um, uh, some employers and free market groups about uh, be the end of Hong Kong's um, free market. But actually, um, we adapted pretty smoothly to it. Yeah, well, this is, I'm, I'm just uh, reading from the, from the report, which says, I mean, $44 is not acceptable to the commission. Because it create, it, in their view, looking at the, the look, trying to predict ahead, it would result in uh, too many uh, too many job losses and too much of a, a reduction in the competitiveness of Hong Kong. This isn't my view. This is the view of the the, the commission. So, if forty four dollars would would result in that, then yeah. you you'd say that fifty three dollars or fifty four dollars Oxfam is um, proposing is really beyond the pale. That's right. That's right. But the other thing is. How many people, the cost-benefit analysis, I mean, we've already said that there's only a very small number of employees, less than 15,000, I think, who are actually getting paid minimum wage anyway. But hang on, that, that works both ways, because if there's only a very small number, then the economic impact of, of raising their, their salaries no, is going to be... No, awesome. that's not right. That's not right, because okay. there's, there's a ripple effect, right? Because it's not, you're not just impacting that, those, those people. You get everybody above them. So if you increase the lowest paid people by 5%, people above them increase as well. The well, but effect. then you can't use the argument that it's, <laughs> there are only a very small, <clears throat> small number being paid on that right, as, as an argument to, uh, that why we, we don't need to um, raise the minimum wage further. Because you're, you're just saying, actually, it would have an, it would benefit a much larger number of, of workers. What I'm, what I'm saying is, what I'm saying is, it's currently working. The, the 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 process which's been in place the past eleven years is currently working to improve the case of the lower paid workers. That's what the evidence indicates by a substantial amount. All right, how about the argument that I mean, when the minimum wage is introduced, it's a, it's a big adjustment at the, at the beginning, but um, it's it, this is supposed to be a progressive a, a approach. That once the minimum wage is in place, a sort of a, a decade or two later, it, it's appropriate to take the next step of trying to move closer to um, how minimum wages are applied in in other jurisdictions. This is a bit by bit approach, and it is it's time for the next step. That's uh, a policy. That's a, that would be a policy decision for the government, obviously. I mean the. Uh, I've already given you the numbers that the minimum wage has increased by greater than, than CPI over the period, that low-paid employees have, have benefited materially, that their wages have gone up 86%, which is 33% above inflation. Um, if the government wishes to have the debate in relation to, right, should we move this away from forestalling excessively low wages whilst, whilst maintaining... Um, jobs and maintaining Hong Kong's competitiveness, and instead change those benchmarks to something which is which is more aggressive. Then, obviously, that's a discussion which we'd have to have. And that term, excessively low wage, that you refer to again, again, I mean, that's a very ambiguous term. You could you could increase the minimum wage substantially and saying that that's still addressing excessively low wage. I mean, it's not as if it's, it's linked to any dollar amount. 
it's not linked to enjoyment. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm keep on quoting it because that's what's actually said in the in the legislation, and that's the the uh, and therefore therefore the commission needs to um, uh, the minimum wage commission needs to interpret that. And they've interpreted that as basically the, the right figure being forty dollars. All right, so Mr. Abate, let's uh, let's take a quick break for the news and uh, continue our discussion afterwards uh, when we will be joined by Thomas Yoon, Assistant Professor at Xuyan University's Department of Economics and Finance. And uh, if you're tuning in and you want to ask our guests questions or share your views on today's topics, you can leave a message on our Facebook page, Backchat on RTHK Radio 3. Email us at backchat at rthk.hk or give us a call on 233 88266. And uh, here's a quick look at the weather. Mainly cloudy with one or two light rain patches in the morning. The top temperature will be around 24 degrees. Winds moderate to fresh easterlies, occasionally strong offshore at first. Right now, the temperature reading at the observatory is 22 degrees. Relative humidity, 76%. It's now 9.30. With a news summary, here's Todd Harding. President Zelensky of Ukraine says he had a long and rational conversation with President Xi Jinping in his first direct phone call with the Chinese leader since Russia launched its attack. President Xi said negotiations were the only way to end the war. Mr Zelensky reiterated that Ukraine was not prepared to give up territory in exchange for peace. The police have arrested seven men and a woman in connection with the murder of a 70-year-old man in Yunlong last month. The arrests were made on Monday and Tuesday and the case was mentioned at Tunmun Magistrates Court yesterday. And US President Joe Biden and South Korea's Yoon Suk-yeol have announced new measures to increase deterrence in the face of the growing nuclear threat from North Korea. After talks at the White House, President Biden said the US would give South Korea more influence over how it would respond to any nuclear incident. I'll have more news at 10 o'clock. When ordering an LPG cylinder, do you know how to select an LPG cylinder distributor? LPG cylinder distributors that meet safety performance requirements are now rated and categorized into three levels, gold, silver and bronze. With a rating system, buying an LPG cylinder is safe and easy. For details, please visit the Electrical and Mechanical Services Department website at www.emsd.gov.hk. The property management industry licensing regime has been implemented. From August the 1st, 2023, only property management companies and relevant practitioners holding a valid license may continue to provide services under the law. To prevent disruption of such services, remind your property management company to get licensed now. A new milestone for property management. Regulation breeds professionalism. Visit pmsa.org.hk to learn more. Welcome back. This is Back Chat on a Thursday morning with Danny Gittings and me, Janice Wong. Still with us on the program is Silai Shan, Deputy Director of the Society for Community Organization, and Duncan Abate, Executive Committee Member of the Employers' Federation of Hong Kong. Also joining us now is Thomas Yoon, Assistant Professor at Xu Yan University's Department of Economics and Finance. Good morning, Professor Yoon. Good morning. Thanks for joining us on the program. Um, now, the latest minimum wage of uh, $40 that will take effect on Monday was set at the start of a year. But uh, with the cost of living going up recently, uh, is the level acceptable? Of course not. Okay. Uh, because 
the minimum wage rate was actually adjusted from, from the inflation rate, okay? If you just take a look at the overall inflation rate, it's reasonable. But uh, the one that are taking the minimum wage are the one that have having 50% or 60% on their transportation and their food, okay, basic food, okay? okay? So the uh, calculation or the approximation of the increase in minimum wage does not targeting those uh, labor that are taking the minimum wage. And if you compare internationally, the minimum wage in Hong Kong is even lower than Taiwan, okay? But our cost of living in Hong Kong is much higher than Taiwan, okay? Uh, so this is uh, actually cannot cover the basic need of the labor. And one more thing is that not just the minimum wage per hour, the overall maximum uh, monthly wage that can calculate from the minimum wage also increase uh, to uh, 60,000 thousand. But if you do a simple calculation, it's expected that those labor that are taking the minimum wage are working for uh, 30.5 hours a day, for 30 days. So this is unreasonable. So the, the whole, uh, this needs to be reviewed. Uh, the whole process of the uh, minimum wage actually needs to be reviewed. Today, uh, yeah. No, you saying the whole process needs to be reviewed. You that sounds like you're unhappy with the minimum wage commission and the way they work. Yeah, because they actually review the the uh, minimum wage rate every two years. Okay, but for the last two years, or we are expecting for the next two years, there may be a lot of changes. Okay, so uh, it's more better that you review everything every year instead of every two years. And it is better that you use another benchmark, okay? Uh, for example, doing a survey on those that taking the minimum wage rate and how much wage, uh, how much inflation that they are actually experiencing. We know that not, not many people are taking the minimum wage rate. Uh, uh, even though they increase the minimum wage rate, uh, it's estimated that uh, only around 70,000 uh, labor uh, 70 to 80,000 laborers are actually taking the minimum wage rate. So they are those laborers that uh, they are living very poor. Uh, we, we need to consider this. Uh, and if you take a look at uh, the poverty line, the poverty line, we can consider the medium income for, for Hong Kong people is uh, 20,000 per month, okay? Uh, and the poverty line may be half of the 20,000 is above uh, 10,000 per month, okay? If you divide this by by uh, 198 hours, uh, that means 8 hours per day, 48 hours per week. The minimum wage should be set to, to touch the, the property line is around $52 per hour. So there are a lot of ways that the committee can review uh, the minimum wage rate uh, rather than uh, in, in uh, today's uh, mechanism because the mechanism does not actually uh, anchor uh, to, for example, a uh, certain target, uh, and we do, and every time they need to discuss, uh, discuss go for a long discussion period. Uh, so perhaps uh, they can do this in a more scientific way uh, to ensure that uh, the labour uh, that taking the minimum wage are being protected. Yeah. Uh, but how about the effect on employers of increase? I mean, the argument is, and we've been hearing this earlier in the program, is the argument is if you increase the minimum wage higher, then some employers cannot just uh, can just cannot afford it, and you'll have job losses. Um, this 
is somehow a the information, okay? As I say, ah, uh, uh, the overall people uh, or the increase in you know wage rate thirty seven point five dollar per hour, there is only one point forty thousand, okay, forty thousand, okay, and after forty thousand labor are actually taking the minimum wage rate after they increase from thirty seven point five to forty dollars. Is estimated the maximum amount covered by the uh, minimum wage rate is around eighty thousand. So it's zero point zero eight million compared with three point seven uh, seven million labor force in Hong Kong. The amount is can be a lot. So uh, it's it's difficult to imagine that the employer uh, uh, will lose their job. Okay, the labor will lose their job. It's difficult to. Imagine that in, in fact in Hong Kong in today, uh, it's difficult to get someone to work for you uh, if you are actually paying them for the minimum wage rate unless those labor have, uh, for example, a physical challenge, mental challenge, uh, their environment, uh, their single mother or, or, or single parents are somehow, they have certain circumstances that they actually cannot work for a full-time job and they they actually call on to take the minimum wage away. So uh, the increase the minimum wage actually will not affect the, the, the labor market. And I do not think that uh, some of them may actually lost their, their, their job. Uh, even though you increase the minimum wage rate to uh, $52 per hour. All right. Okay. Uh, Duncan Abate, earlier you said uh, $53 is too much. What about 52 suggested uh, by Professor Yoon? Yeah, I mean, that's that's not much different, right? I mean, it, the, there's an enormous amount to unpack from Professor or Professor Yun just said. I mean, he referred to, to benchmarks and mechanisms. Um, there are no benchmarks or mechanisms. I mean, that this is a, a, a view. The the, the pro, there is a process, and the process that the Minimum Wage Commission sits down. They have hundreds of meetings, literally hundreds of meetings over a period of of. A, a year and a half, and they look forwards, they look back, they take into account the, the changing environment, including the economic environment, um, and they try and pro project and come up with a number which is appropriate um, to protect the employees who are most at risk, um, and yet ensuring the, that it's for the benefit of Hong Kong uh, as, a, as a whole. Now, they've come up with $40. Um, they didn't even consider $52 or $53 because, frankly, those are just way out of line with um, the range which, uh, which they considered was, was potentially feasible. Um, so 50, I, I, I do understand why... why People are arguing for this because they look at the, the number of $40 and they think, well, you can't buy a sandwich for that. And, and I get that. But the reality is that this is, it's a flaw. It's an absolute flaw. And the vast majority of people, I mean, a greater percentage of employees every year are earning materially more than that. So this is a, a flaw which is pushing wages up generally. Uh, and the, the number, as you said, there are a lot of points that um, uh, Thomas Yoon made, but he was also making the point that you, you, you can't look at just at the CPI uh, generally. When, when... 
Absolutely. And if we did, and we don't, I mean, that's not what happens, of course. It's not. If we just looked at the CPI, then the minimum wage would be less than $40. That's that's the reality. But he said, I mean, we he he was saying um, uh, we need to look at things like trans, transport and food costs, uh, yes. disappointing large part of the budget. Yeah, we all know transport costs have shot through. Yeah. If you take a shot through the roof, if you were yeah. linking increased the minimum wage to transport costs, you might well increase it even higher. Yeah, I mean, there's. I, w- I won't go through it in detail because it, it's enormously complicated. But the the, the report, the 144-page report, has. Um, an array of indicators which go into enormous detail. Um, and, I mean, there are economists on the, on the minimum wage commission. So you know, all of these points are taken into consideration. The, the idea that... So the, are, are you agreeing? The, the, idea that the, the idea that the minimum wage commission sits there, looks at the CPI, and then kind of comes up with a number, that, it, that's just not what actually happens. So are, are you agreeing that the costs, that these people who are on the minimum wage, that their, their, their costs are actually increasing much faster than the CPI? Because so far, the, the discussion this morning, we've just been talking about it in terms of uh, overall inflation rate. Their costs, uh, I'm not sure I understand. Why would their costs be Well, because they, they're spending their budget disproportionately on things like transport and food, because they're uh-huh. a low, as low-income workers. Um, they don't have much, so much money to spare for for, for, for other things, and that transport and um, is what is one of the areas where um, uh, prices have increased fastest. Uh, that could be right. I'm not an economist, um, so uh, so I, I defer to Professor Yuen in relation to that. What I would say is that the lower paid, the the, the wages for lower for the lower paid uh, employees in Hong Kong have increased by 30% more than CPI over the last 11 years. That's, that's the facts. And a part of that has to be due to the introduction of minimum wage. And, and therefore, it is making a really positive impact upon the, the lower paid individuals. Well, okay. How about we put that point back to um, to Professor Yoon? That uh, you just said, Mr. Barte, Professor Yoon, say, well, uh, wages for lower income workers in Hong Kong have already increased a lot since uh, introduction of minimum wage. Yeah, I may say that if you consider the minimum wage, okay. Uh, the fact is that before they increase the minimum wage, rate, the total amount of uh, labour cover is just forty for forty for three thousand. And now they increase the minimum wage rate, so the total number of labor covered is increased from uh, forty point three thousand to seven thousand or or eighty point seven thousand. They estimate something like this, okay? Uh, but is, is this uh, okay? Okay, more people getting the minimum wage rate, okay? Uh, we are. I think the society do not want more people to get the minimum wage rate. They want more people to get higher than the minimum wage rate. Uh, the first point yeah. is that. Uh, uh, so, uh, and the point is that they put too much on the macroeconomic environment. By the time they discuss, uh, the report put too much on the macro uh, economic environment, on the macroeconomic data, as I say that, as, as you say that, uh, those that taking the minimum wage rate has a special reason, somehow, um, I must say that, uh, and their, their proportion of their expenditure is disproportionate on food and transportation. And if you do not increase, and even for the labor market, uh, if you do not increase more for the 
uh, minimum wage rate, uh, you may actually leave some other benefit for those labor for them to come up to work or to travel a, a longer way uh, to the city to work. Otherwise, they will only work in the area surrounding them, okay? Uh, because the transportation cost is high. If just paying for me for $40, uh, if I travel a few hours to the city, uh, for example, I live in the rural area, travel a few hours to the city to go to get a work, my, my cost is extremely high. So they will only stay uh, in the area around them to work. Uh, this reduces the labor mobility, and this is not good for the whole society. Uh, so uh, if you do not want to increase the minimum wage rate, provide them with other benefits, such as transportation benefits, okay? Well, but the, the government does have a, quite a transportation subsidy, doesn't it? Yeah. So. Yeah, the government has transportation subsidies. But whether this is enough, okay, and the transportation subsidies is, is actually... Uh, only for uh, only for those that uh, can only for those that they use the transportation public transportation uh, uh, everything uh, but this is not a actually a uh, wage rate let's say that uh, so you cannot uh, use them uh, for other use okay. uh, for example when you transportation when you are not going to work uh, when you are using this this, this uh, benefit uh, for for example for education. Uh, for my for my child, uh, this cannot be used. Uh, so paying them with a higher wage rate, minimum wage rate, allow them to more flexible use their budget. Okay, uh, this maybe they want to use more their of their budget on their child's okay on entertainment on on other things. Uh, so uh, personally, I think that increase the minimum wage rate, uh, make it more transparent. Okay, uh, make it more target. The data is more target. Uh, to to those that. Uh, Taking the uh, or to those lower labor, uh, lower wage labor, uh, is, uh, and increase the frequency of review uh, one year per, per year uh, is important. All right, uh, Professor Yoon, we'll have to leave it here for now. Thanks again for joining us this morning. That's uh, Thomas Yoon, Assistant Professor at Xuyan University's Department of Economics and Finance. Many thanks also to Duncan Abate, partner at Mayor Brown. He's also an Executive Committee member of the Employers Federation of Hong Kong and also Silai Shan, Deputy Director of the Society for Community Organization. It's now 9.46 and uh, we'll take a look at new support services for young people with diabetes right after this. 95 years of public service broadcasting. Stay tuned with Hong Kong. Hi, I'm Michael Teen, Roundtable Legislator. I want to congratulate RTHK on its uh, 95th birthday. And I've always been a fan of RTHK. I think over the years they've done a very good job balancing the needs of citizens to have transparency and factual use. So I congratulate them and I believe that they will continue to do the same. 95 years of public service broadcasting. 95 years. Stay tuned. Stay tuned. With Hong Kong. You're listening to Backchat. Call us on 233-88-266 and have your say. The Jockey Club, together with the Chinese University, have launched new support services to help young people with diabetes. An earlier study by the university found an increase in the number of young people with diabetes in Hong Kong. To tell us more, we're now joined on the line by Dr. Elaine Chow, Assistant Professor at the Chinese University's Department of Medicine and Therapeutics. Good morning, Dr. Chow. 
Hello, good morning. Thanks for joining us on the program. Um, can you first tell us how common diabetes is among young people in Hong Kong? Mm, sure. Um, so um, we did uh, a, um, a, a one of the studies looking at the incidence of uh, type 1 diabetes um, in young people um, sort of under the age of 20 um, and uh, we over the period of between 2005 to 2015 uh, we've seen an increase in incidence of type 1 diabetes um, from about three to four per hundred thousand to um, you know five um, to six per hundred thousand uh, over the, uh, this period um, at the same time um, there's also a rising uh, incidence of uh, young people with type 2 diabetes um, and now you know amongst people um, diagnosed with type 2 diabetes in Hong Kong Asia um, one in five um, are diagnosed under the age of 40 um, and frequently um, they may, may, may tend to have um, possibly earlier complications um, and sometimes the glycemic control glucose control is not as ideal and I think partially is because of uh, the challenges of you know managing the condition um, for example have to balance against uh, their work or you know school um, and looking after a you know, busy family. Um, so, yeah, so um, I think it's, deep, it's definitely worrying. <laughs> you, you said uh, young, there, there are more young people um, uh, getting a type 2 diabetes. Mm. What's the um, age range? Are you talking about uh, young people in, the, in their 20s or are you talking about uh, children? Um, I think at both. I mean, definitely we're seeing people um, or young youths, you know, even during um, their, their um, teenage years are, um, you know, having been diagnosed with type 2 diabetes. And often this is associated with um, a rise in obesity or changes in lifestyle, um, but also um, rising number of people um, between the ages of 20 to 40 as well, we're seeing um, developing type 2 diabetes. Okay, and uh, the idea of this uh, funding from the Jockey Club support is to um, make it much easier to provide uh, continuous glucose monitors. Yeah. Uh, can you explain a little bit about the importance of this? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, um, as we all know, that um, you know, glucose control, blood sugar control, is extremely important to decrease the risk of complications. Um, you know, if uh, one is able to maintain the blood glucose near to a normal range, um, then you know you can probably reduce uh, many complications. Um, for example example, you know, um, eye complications, kidney complications by about a third. Um, one of the challenges, especially amongst type 1 diabetes patients who have to use insulin completely uh, to control their blood sugars, um, is that, you know, the, the blood sugars can fluctuate, you know, across a very wide range. Um, so sometimes, you know, after a meal, um, their blood sugars can rise to maybe 10, 15. But um, after insulin exercise, they can also experience a low blood sugar, or what we call hypoglycemia. So um, once uh, people's uh, blood sugars drop below, you know, 3.9, um, you can get, you know, very unpleasant, um, you know, low blood sugar symptoms. So you might get confused. You might not be able to talk or think properly. Um, and in extreme cases, you know, you can get um, what we um, call, you know, hypoglycemic coma, you know, pass out or, you know, experience seizures. So um, a lot of people, um, you know, with type 1 diabetes find the you know, hypoglycemia very frightening. And definitely, you know, especially this can occur at nights whilst you're sleeping. Um, so, you know, this is very stressful for parents as well. 
Um, so, um, you know, traditionally, you know, people have to, you know, prick their fingers um, using a glucometer, um, and that, you know, um, and uh, you can only check your sugars maybe several times a day. Um, but with the continuous glucose monitors, um, this is a very small device um, that can measure uh, the interstitial glucose continuously every minute, and then you know, automatically get a readout or on a mobile phone. Um, so, you know, you can get much more comprehensive 24-hour blood sugar monitoring. Um, and um, these uh, CGMs um, also come with um, alerts, so uh, both you know hyper, uh, um, high blood sugar, or low blood sugar alerts, um, as well as sort of trending information. Um, and um, a lot of um, you know people, young people, find this extremely helpful in helping them manage their blood sugars. But they're expensive, uh, aren't they? So the problem is yeah, that. Um, so unfortunately. Um, um, so, you know, each, um, the glucose sensor typically lasts around one to two weeks, um, but the CGM is, you know, costs between maybe 1000 to 3000 Hong Kong dollars per month. And a majority of people, you know, are, you know, having to pay this out of their pocket and, you know, this is not, you know, covered, uh, you know, routinely by, you know, the HA um, or the public sector. So um, I think especially for, you know, people who may be more disadvantaged, you know, this is a heavy burden. Yeah. So presumably you're going to means test uh, providing the support, right? Yeah, so um, this is actually, we're so very, very grateful to the Jockey Club for uh, supporting this initiative. So actually we're partnering uh, with um, youth um, Diabetes Action at YDA, um, who is, you know, a, a, a patient organization who's been really behind um, improving uh, care for young people uh, with diabetes. Um, so um, in partnering with YDA and also the um, Association of Hong Kong Diabetes Nurses, um, you know, we'll be launching uh, this project. Um, so as part of this project, uh, YDA uh, will be, um, you know, supporting um, CGMs for over a thousand, um, you know, young people between the age of two to 30 with a two-year supply of CGM. Um, um, and um, the, the, at the same time, both YD and the Diabetes Nurses Association will be supporting a lot of educational um, initiatives. Um, and for the Chinese University of Hong Kong, uh, we'll be you know, doing a project evaluation to see how provision of CGMs you know, universally um, can really help uh, improve care and also the quality of life for you know, young people with diabetes and their families. Yeah. Uh, I mean, elsewhere in the world, as far as I understand, these yeah. uh, devices are supplied as part of a public health system, isn't it? Yeah, right? so um, I think for some years now, for example, uh, in the United Kingdom, um, so uh, nearly everybody with type 1 diabetes are given, you know, a you know, personal CGMs continuously uh, being used, fully supported. Um, so recently in Australia, um, they also did, uh, provided universal subsidized access of um, CGMs to, you know, type 1 uh, diabetes patients under the age of 21. And over there, they saw, you know, a really real increase in uptake of CGM from something like 5% to nearly 80% over two years. Um, and also, um, they... Um, saw that um, the rates of you know, severe blood, low blood sugars decreased by 50%, and those using CGMs were sort of two times more likely to achieve sort of optimal glycemic control. And also, actually, they found that this is, might be sort of more cost-effective compared with just a you know, personal self-funded model. Yeah. Right. And apart from uh, providing these uh, um, CGMs or uh, continuous glucose yeah. monitors, uh, what other services will be provided? Sure. Um, so um, I think that there will be a 
via the YDA, they've always been sort of launching a lot of you know, peer support uh, programs. Um, and specifically, I think uh, that in partnership with the uh, diabetes uh, nurses in Hong Kong, um, they will be having specific programs to help um, these young patients to utilize the CGM uh, to the full. So they'll be providing you know, educational support on, for example, how to interpret the CGM, the glucose trends, how best to adjust the insulin, um, the timing, or you know, their activities um, to really avoid high, you know, low sugars and try to you know, improve um, the overall control. So yeah, so um, and then there'll be sort of a you know, general you know, um, educational talks to raise awareness um, both in schools and in the general public. And uh, can anyone uh, benefit from from uh, these uh, services? I mean, as long as they are um, within that age range, or do they have to go through the associations you you mentioned to um, benefit from this program? Sure. Um, so um, this uh, Johi Club uh, initiative uh, will be um, sort of our main focus will be. Um, people uh, between the ages of um, 2 to uh, 30 um, who are Hong Kong residents with uh, diabetes um, and um, on exceptional cases, for example, if uh, certain people out of this range are, for example, getting pregnant or have you know, uh, financial difficulties, then these will be also considered on a case-to-case basis. Um, so I think um, it will be sort of YDA is the main organizer of this project, um, and I think um, the the, the um, process would be to go through them um, to, to, um, to, to access the, uh, this initiative. Uh, now, just maybe looking ahead of it, I mean, we all know medical technology is advancing massively. Yeah. And we've all heard, uh, right, now, Apple has been working for years yeah. on glucose monitoring. They, they, yeah. they, uh, just from your, wa- your watch, they haven't got there yet. But it, yeah. is, it, is it realistic to think that um, in a couple of years' time, in some years' time, these devices, which you're mentioning now, are very important now, they'll, they'll be obsolete. They'll be much simpler and cheaper ways of doing it. And I bet that'll make everyone's life yeah, better, won't it? Um, I mean, CGM itself, you know, this, um, you know, interstitial glucose monitoring hasn't really been allowed, only probably, you know, really come to the fore in the past five years. But already, already we've seen how this has transformed, um, you know, the, the care of these patients. I mean, the, 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 I think undoubtedly having access to real-time glucose information, uh, you know, that's combined with phones, that that can be, you know, clouded and shared with, you know, um, other carers and healthcare professionals. So definitely this digital technology is going to really Revolutionise um, diabetes care, um, but I mean, I think um, you know, it's. I mean, I think at any end of the day, any technology is just really helping people manage their diabetes a bit better. You know, able to look after themselves a bit better. So I think that's the most important thing. So, yeah. uh, I mean, we sometimes have suggestions that we have a future where not just diabetes sufferers, but everybody can sort of see how their yeah, blood sugar levels f- fluctuate yeah. after they eat uh, something yeah. sweet or something like that, sure. right? Yeah, and looking ahead, I think, you know, these devices are getting smarter and smarter. Um, you know, I think uh, the current CGMs already can integrate, for example, you can enter, you know, insulin doses, your food, exercise, all these things are already, you know, being accounted for. And they do have also decision support systems for some of them. So um, I think, you know, as you say, it's extremely exciting times. So I think for a long time, these devices have been available, but people are not able to access them. Um, so I think this is just a first step in trying to, to get... Uh, supported and benefiting our young people in Hong Kong, really. All right, uh, Dr. Chow, we'll have to leave it here for now. Thanks again for joining us this morning. That's uh, Dr. Elaine Chow, Assistant Professor at the Chinese University's Department of Medicine and Therapeutics. Many thanks also to you who commented or emailed us today and to our producer, Raphael, and our guest presenter, Danny Gitchings. I'll be back with another edition of Fact Chat tomorrow with Andrew Work.